COVID-19, the coronavirus, the reaction from nearly the entire planet has shown the speed with which government is prepared to act to one end while completely overlooking the impacts of that action. Such unintended consequences include segregating businesses into essential or not essential, which then segregates people into essential or non-essential groups. The stay-home orders added to the inability of many people to work leads to levels of stress and anxiety and uncertainty, hardly a prescription for health. Today, my guest will discuss one organized way to respond to the state, as well as a decentralized way to respond to overlord mandates, as well as some overlooked, unintended consequences of knee-jerk government action. The Culinary Libertarian Podcast, Episode 84. Hello, and welcome to the Culinary Libertarian Podcast, where the philosophy is free, but the food is on you. Dan Reed here, the Culinary Libertarian. Welcome back to the podcast. Happy to have you here. Happy to be here. Shuffle over to my podcast page, culinarylibertarian.com slash podcasts, to find the previous show's show notes pages. While you're on that podcast page, you can follow the Culinary Libertarian on Twitter or subscribe to the YouTube channel. And maybe, best of all, join me in the Eating Liberty Facebook group. Mostly we show off our culinary accomplishments, and there are a few skilled bakers in the group. We've got cooks too, so come on in and get some summer menus planned. From that podcast page, you can navigate to the support page and find some of my affiliate banners, such as the Tom Woods Liberty Classroom and the McClanahan Academy. Both excellent resources while you're schooling from home. If your kids are Zooming with content similar to my kids, these courses in history and the Constitution and the Presidents will be of immense help. You can also subscribe to Kiko's Cakes for that Mother's Day pastry treat that you can make following Kiko's excellent video instruction. To help mom enjoy her sweet treat, you can purchase her a Mother's Day coffee mug for her tasty beverage. Click the banner for Cranky Without Coffee to shop the selection of coffee mugs for mom or just because ornery is a legitimate emotion. The last ways you can support the show are with a click of the mouse on the Patreon tab. I've got a few levels set up there, and your monthly donation will help support the podcast and also support with a rating and review on your favorite podcatcher. That really helps let more people find the show, and that grows the audience. My guest today is Angela McArdle. She's going to talk about the protest against California Governor Newsom's stay-home order in Los Angeles. Angela is a self-described warlord of the Libertarian Party of Los Angeles County. More than just a current party member, member at large, 
Angela has run for Congress in 2018 for California's 34th District and is well involved in politics. Angela, thank you for joining me today on the Culinary Libertarian Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Well, it's my pleasure. Before we get rolling here, be, um, take a minute to introduce yourself to the listeners who may not know who you are and give a little bit of your background. And then I'm going to ask you, uh, ask you now, the hardest question you've probably been asked this year. Are you essential? Thanks so much for having me on. Yes, my name is Angela McArdle. I am the chair of the Libertarian Party of Los Angeles County. I am also on the executive committee of the Libertarian Party of California, the state coordinator for the California Mises Caucus. And you ask whether or not I am essential. I think, yeah, absolutely. As a human being, I'm essential and my my rights and everything, you know, about my life, my hopes and dreams are absolutely essential. Well, and that's the answer I expected you to give because there's no way anybody can know what isn't essential, but that's that's another episode talking about unintended consequences and the long chain of all kinds of other things. But I do want to talk to you about your upcoming protest on the stay-home orders from California Governor Newsom. Now, you are not a newbie at protests against the state with the small s. You did protest the rule outlawing something about giving food to the homeless, and you can explain that part better than I can. Absolutely. So back in 2013, the Los Angeles City Council proposed an ordinance that would ban food sharing and public rights of way, which is a ban on feeding homeless people in public. And together, there were several grassroots groups that organized a very successful protest against this motion. It was tabled and the city council has never brought it forward since. We had about 800 people show up at the corner of Hollywood and Vine, which is a very major intersection right in front of a city council member's office. And, you know, we just got that thing shut down and, and the outpouring of local support was incredible. So I am definitely banking on my experience with that and with some other protests. We also protested the murder of Kelly Thomas by the, um, I believe it was, it's not Fullerton. I'm sorry. It's another smaller city in Orange County, his murder against the police department. We had a really good protest on that too. So all of this stuff has helped me, I guess, prepare for this big protest that's coming up on May 1st. Okay. And so this is against the, well, not unique to California, the stay-home orders. Now, we've seen various states, uh, the citizens of states, pushing back against this, and perhaps most notably would be Michigan. Uh, it seems on a daily basis a lot is changing, and sometimes pretty rapidly, uh, and then, according to some, maybe not fast enough. So the stay-home orders do have unintended consequences. So let's start with the reason for the protest. Absolutely. So there are a lot of reasons to protest this. At the, at the forefront of most libertarians and liberty-minded people's minds is the fact that it's grossly unconstitutional and violates the Bill of Rights. But aside from that, people who, and I really, I know there's probably not a lot of progressive people who are going to hear this, but I'm going to share it with them anyway. People who are concerned about safety, please remember there are millions of people in this country who do not feel safe because they've lost their jobs or their small businesses and they're facing financial ruin. The suicide hotline has seen over an 800% increase in calls 
I think the last stat I checked, it was 900% increase. Women in domestic violence relationships are forced to stay at home and they're at a much greater risk right now for their safety. The phrase stay home, stay safe doesn't fit every situation. And that's why we're protesting. Don't even get me started on people who don't qualify for the pathetic $1,200 stimulus check, like people who are undocumented, if you owe back taxes, if you owe child support. Uh, the, the latest story to hit is that if you have a judgment against you, debt collectors are grabbing that money out of your account before you even know that it's hit. There are so many reasons to protest this thing. We didn't touch a little bit on unintended consequences, and there are multiple levels where that applies, including the mental health of the people who have to stay home, the business viability and economic wholesomeness. But there is another issue that I know is an important one to you, and I don't mean to lead you on this, but tell me about how the homeless population is being impacted in, in ways that may not be playing to, to those of us who don't see this in where we live. Oh, absolutely. So most people, when they think of homeless people, they just think, oh, it's someone who literally sleeps on the street or a tent, spends all day begging for change and does nothing with their life. Maybe they're drug addicted, they're, they're losers, they, they're furniture or whatever. Before I even unpack that sort of mentality, people should also be aware that a lot of homeless people have jobs and they rely on that work to try to no longer make themselves homeless, right? Or to get out of poverty. And so now many of them have been shut out. They don't have their jobs anymore. The thought of getting an apartment or a place to live or maybe a car is gone. That That is a pipe dream. It's not going to happen anymore because they've lost their work. And $1,200 is not enough to cover the exorbitant costs that come with trying to get a place to live in L.A., a security deposit, clearing problems like uh, when you owe the bank money because you're in so much debt and you've had your accounts debited, things of that nature. A huge one that, that people don't realize is that a lot of homeless people have gym memberships, and that's where they go to shave and shower and be clean so that they can go to work. So if you're homeless and you have been declared, quote unquote, essential, and you do have to go to work every day, you have that, I guess at this point we could call it a privilege. Now you can't get cleaned up. So not only are you not clean and decent and presentable like every human being wants to be, but it's incredibly demoralizing to show up to work not having showered for two weeks to a month, trying to clean yourself up in the bathroom sink at work. These are some of the issues that homeless people are facing right now due to the the closures. Well, and that's something that I never would have occurred to me because this is, I, I mean, having spent time many years ago in New York City and in, in seeing a pretty large homeless population, my limited experience with some of them was that I mean, the, the stories that I have to share are of people who preferred that lifestyle over any other option, but based on some experiences, like um, someone offered this guy a big bag of KFC food and he refused it. That was on a subway train. And that, I mean, that's anecdotal. That's not, that's not evidence of anything, but. Those people exist, but you'd be surprised to find out, especially in, you know, urban populations like Los Angeles and San Francisco, where, where the weather is nice and you can blend in and stay outside without looking too different. You'd be surprised to find out how many people really are homeless or are sleeping in their cars, sort of go back and forth between sleeping in their car and crashing on a friend's couch. You know, that's another issue that people have faced. So 
with the lockdowns and all of the social stigma that's come with it, people who are homeless or right on the edge who are crashing on a friend's couch, many of them no longer have anywhere to go. Because now the government has got everyone terrified to be a friend or, or, or to act like a family member. So a lot of those places to stay, places where people could go and shower with a friend on the weekend, those resources have dried up out of fear. So literally the phrase, stay home, stay safe, doesn't even exist. It's, 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 it excludes an entire population of people. Absolutely. Hmm. It's one of the reasons I suspect so far that in Los Angeles County, we haven't seen as many people being arrested for violating the orders. Because in LA County, you'd have to arrest, oh, I don't know, close to 100,000 people. Our homeless population is huge, and the numbers are usually suppressed by the government because they don't want it to look as bad as it is. But we have definitely easily over 70,000 people who sleep on the streets or in their cars on a regular basis. That's amazing. I had no clue. I know this is a little bit outside of the scope of the protest, but as a two-time candidate for Congress... What is an alternative? And there needn't be just one option, but I'm just curious, what would be a solution to helping the homeless population in LA? Because obviously what's been going on isn't working. And this, is, this might be another episode, but I'm just curious. Sure, I can give you a brief rundown of that. So a, a couple of years ago, I started working on a book the Libertarian Solution to Homelessness. That was just, you know, my working title. And as I got about halfway through the project, close to 45 to 50 hours of writing, I realized I had to scrap it. Because part of the issue when we're trying to solve homelessness is that we are often searching to end it completely. And that is like utopia. And all libertarians know utopia is never going to happen. So I have to throw that caveat out first. One of the hugest things that you can do to eliminate homelessness is to get rid of a lot of the zoning laws in major metropolitan areas. I live close to downtown LA in an area called Highland Park. We have a lot of businesses that are two stories, they're older, and the upstairs is not accessible from the street. It's a really bad business model I would never put my business upstairs, maybe if I was just strictly in professional services by referrals and never required walk-ins. These units just sit vacant, and the city won't allow them to be used for rentals. Things like that, those kind of stupid laws would, would really, if we could just get them repealed, it would open up the housing market so much, and it would give us what is truly affordable housing, something that's more like single room occupancy style, shared bathrooms, a place for people to get off the street when they can finally start afford to paying rent. Like if you have a minimum wage job, for example. Well, zoning laws is something that come up often when libertarians are talking about solutions that exclude government action. Absolutely. There are a lot of other things that would really help too. you know, ending the drug war, even if we could do this, you know, I cringe at this word, but even if we could do it incrementally, Ending uh, ticketing for stupid things like parking violations in Los Angeles, 78 to $80 sometimes. Tickets like that often are the difference between paying your rent, having a car to go to work, buying groceries. For people who are low income, these are 
these sort of things push people into homelessness. So if we could stop pushing people who are on the brink of homelessness into homelessness, we would see a drop in the number of people sleeping in their cars and on the streets. There are just so many laws we have that are really like, you know, regressive taxes that force people and keep them down in poverty. Well, that was concise. And it, it definitely sounds like another episode or two or a whole <laughs> a whole themed podcast sure. or certainly a book. But uh, as I do want to ask you about the possible future for L.A. after stay home is revoked. But first, let's take a moment out for a word from my affiliate. Folks, you've heard me mention my coffee mug store at the beginning of the show. I use a platform called Gearbubble and a training program called the Low Hanging System. It is a video-based training course which covers every detail about how to find ideas for mugs, how to design and upload the mugs to a store, and also how to integrate that store to selling platforms such as Etsy or Amazon. The Low Hanging System is a very, is a very thorough the low-hanging system is very thorough, and the course creator, Rachel, is herself a mug designer and seller and very successful at it. In the uncertainty of lockdowns, start a side hustle. Learn how to sell mugs online. Your bubble also sells t-shirts and other kinds of print-on-demand products, but the low-hanging system is specifically about designing, uploading, selling, and scaling up selling coffee mugs. Click my affiliate link, culinarylibertarian.com slash LHS to see the introductory video with Rachel presenting the course and the link to subscribe. That's culinarylibertarian.com slash LHS to learn about how to put the low-hanging system to work for you. culinarylibertarian.com slash LHS now let's get back into the show. So, Angela, let's say the protest works. Governor Newsom rescinds the order. Now what? Well, it's not going to be the same because our economy has been shut down now effectively for about a month. We saw people already practicing a lot of stay-at-home stuff voluntarily before this. And let's face it, we know that the economy was was not doing so great regardless of the stay-at-home orders and all of the drama surrounding the virus. So it's just going to be a tough climb back up to where we were at, and I don't know how long it will take. But I do know that at least a lot more people will be able to return to work and start rebuilding their lives and providing for their families. And that's a really good start. It is a good start. I'm, I'm just... Perhaps libertarians have a higher level of cynicism about government than most everybody else. And I think these days, everyone's is probably pretty high. But I sort of struggle to imagine government agencies willingly giving back the authority they've usurped. Oh, I agree. I mean, this has set a terrible precedent for government. I imagine that all sorts of permitting and licensing is going to be born out of this crisis. You're going to have to, maybe in certain areas, maintain social distancing policies, masks. We might see new health agencies pop up, nanny state stuff. You've got to have this many masks. You've got to have this many seats. We're going to see probably a reduction 
in restaurant and venue capacity, all kinds of obnoxious things like that. Ticketing, fees for violating all of these new ordinances that may come into being will probably make it impossible for a lot of small businesses to open. So what an opportunity if you're a government to just expand Leviathan and now we've got problems of, I could imagine in San Francisco, there's lots of other things lying on the streets. Now we have masks lying on the streets and rubber gloves. And I just, I just there's the, I find myself sort of bemused by the inability for government to continually not learn from the lessons of unintended consequences. And that's really one of the most amazing things, but Absolutely. It's the the possibilities for authoritarianism, I think, are pretty endless at this point. And it remains to be seen how far people are willing to to bend over and take it from the government. I have been pretty surprised on the one hand, but then kind of not that surprised on the other hand to see how many of my progressive friends and, you know, some some neocon friends as well are just readily complying out of fear it, with no forward thought for how this is going to impact them and their family and future generations. Well, that's, you know, as, as you're talking about that, I was thinking that it seems that the only protesters making Facebook page headlines are the militia types. Now, surely there are individual level of protest. The person who goes to the grocery store and doesn't wear a mask or just goes to the, goes to that non-essential store, if that non-essential store happens to be open to, you know, to buy whatever the person needs. I mean, how the, the idea that you can compartmentalize the items in your life that you need, that someone driving a desk in some city far away can tell you, well, you don't need shoelaces. What do you need shoelaces? That's not essential stuff. Or, you know, what, or shoes at all, or baby clothes. I mean, it's just the the idiocy gets rapid quickly, and I think that there's many ways. Lots of people who will never be known are protesting on some disorganized, decentralized way, and I, maybe that's actually more helpful than the people who make headlines. I don't know. Which does I'm not taking away from you, but I think that it is. I think both are equally important. I think it's really important for people to go out and protest visibly and get on the news to encourage more people to just take private action, to say, you know what, Uh, I don't have a mask today, my mask is dirty, it's uncomfortable, whatever, I'm just going to the store. I'm not going to heavy mouth breathe and lick doorknobs, right? I'm just going to buy celery, whatever. And you just go out and you live your life like you did, because you know that other people around the country are pissed off. They're riled up. They're making a huge scene. So why can't you just go out and just live your life like you used to? And I think that also has a, has a ripple effect as well. When you're at the grocery store and you see other people behaving normally, then you realize, hey, it's okay. I'm not the only one. Other people think this is ridiculous. Other people aren't scared to, you know, pick up a, a bag of broccoli or touch the frozen food handle. And that's the sort of action that we're going to see in small doses that will return us to some form of normalcy, whatever that may look like in the future. Well, I think that that's really kind of the question. And 
I think the answer to how that looks is going to change city to city and place to place because of the attitude and engagement of the people in that place. And and so I I mentioned I use the word decentralized, and I think that that's a good word for a thing like this. But it's also an important word when we talk about a country like this, where most people this is this is <laughs> this is going on to some history, but. I think decentralization is a really important topic that needs to be reintroduced into the dialogue of most everyday Americans and get out of this, I don't like the word nation because we're not a nation, but this, this big country mindset that what's good for the little teeny town in Michigan is the same that's good for Los Angeles. Well, that's absurd. That. It just doesn't apply. You would never do that to anything else. You wouldn't hold the third grade basketball player to the same standard you hold Michael Jordan. So why are we trying to do this other one size fits all thing across this vast expanse? Oh, I completely agree. We we're definitely going to see different areas of the country take different measures. And actually, you know, we're seeing it globally right now. Different countries around the world are reacting in different ways. And you know, the South Dakota governor, she is saying that she's not going to enforce stay-at-home orders. She's taken a lot of grief from other leaders, but at the same time, you know, it's been incredibly inspiring. Even if, let's just, you know, for the sake of argument, say that the virus was a very real threat. It was just killing so many more people than we'd ever imagined. You don't need the same orders in effect in a rural place like Wyoming that you would need in New York City. It doesn't make any sense. And so I think we're going to see measures enacted according to population and also according to demographic. Because let's face it, places that I live, like Los Angeles, highly urban areas, are much more uh, friendly with authoritarianism than rural areas where people are just quite genuinely used to being left alone. Right. And I was thinking about the, I'm sure everyone has seen either pictures or the video of the surfer in the, in the middle of right. all by his onesie in the water and you know, and the effort made to by the police who didn't have masks and didn't have gloves and weren't social distancing to go catch this guy who was no threat to anybody. It's just, you know, the, there's, there's a lot of that kind of thing going on. And it just makes you think, makes me think that this isn't about safety. This is entirely about power. Although in places like L.A., San Francisco, New York, Chicago, safety can be an issue, but there are other ways to deal with it than just the same when you're a, when you're a hammer, every problem looks like a nail. Absolutely. And I do hope that we see a lot of lawsuits crop up out of this. We're going to need it because there's not, there, you know, we can fight with decentralization. We can fight with nullification, but sometimes we're going to have to drag it to the courts because. Sometimes that's the only way to really force the hand of aggressive law enforcement when they're not interested in helping out their communities. So I think it's going to take every approach there there is, or else we're just going to have more actions like those ridiculous police officers. It's it's not about safety. It's about an authority grab. I follow you on Facebook, and I've read some of your posts noting the proverbial Karens of the world who are displeased with you, perhaps on many levels, but also for daring to defy the will of the overlords. Now, 
without getting, I mean, you can get detailed as you want to, how bad has the reaction been, but also how supportive has the reaction been? Well, the reaction has been pretty atrocious from people that I considered personal friends, people I've been friends with for 10 or more years. People have said I am a murderer. I deserve to die. They hope I die. I am a terrorist. I am a Nazi. I am siding with Nazis and everything else that you could imagine that I'm trying to kill them. So that's been an interesting thing. Um, but, you know, the, the other side of that coin is that so many people have come out of the woodwork privately messaging me, telling me that they support what I'm doing and thanking me. A lot of people right now are experiencing serious depression and anxiety. They're stuck in the house. They are isolated. They're not in relationships. They don't live with family or close to family. And, and they're going stir crazy. They can't go to work. They, human beings need touch. It makes a big difference when you can go to the office every day and shake someone's hand even once a day or, or get a hug sometimes. And people are really in support of me fighting against this order because they, they are craving human interaction because this is just unhealthy. I've also had several small business owners reach out to me who are absolutely in crisis. I had one guy reach out to me. He says that he owns a vape shop and that it doesn't qualify as a grocery store, even though he sells a few grocery products and he's been shut down as non-essential. He owes a hundred thousand dollars on product that he can't move. He's struggling. He's trying to move it. He doesn't know what to do. Uh, the, the pathetic uh, small business stimulus packages ran out. He didn't get any money and he's at his wits end. It doesn't matter that he can't pay three months or that he doesn't have to pay three months worth of commercial real estate rent. He owes vendors and he has product he can't move. What can someone like that do? So people in those situations, although I, you know, I feel terrible for them and I'm doing everything I can to help them. They have been really supportive. And it's stories like that that keep me motivated to keep pushing this protest and fighting against it in spite of all of the hatred that I've gotten from people who I used to consider my close friends. I would imagine that this is taking, and maybe not even fully assessed yet, toll on you. It's a little bit stressful and it's consuming a lot of my time. So before the lockdown started, I worked from home half the time anyway. I work at a law office, so I am a paralegal, and I do primarily eviction defense, wrongful foreclosure, uh, wrongful eviction, slumlord lawsuits. Surprisingly, people think, oh, libertarians don't care about people, right? Well, I absolutely support people, and I generally do it from the position of contract law. But thankfully, I've, I've, you know, my hours have been reduced because I don't have as much business. People can't afford to pay their attorneys, right, when they don't have jobs. But I do have more time to take care of this. Yes, it's been stressful, but I've got a really great support network. You know, I am, I'm in a really great relationship with another libertarian who shares, you know, my views. We're, we're two peas in a pod. And I've got some really great libertarian best friends and people who are also really active in the Liberty community in Los Angeles. So it's taken a toll, but I've got a really good support network that I'm appreciative of. Well, that's a good thing to have. Yeah. And, you know, one of the other things that I absolutely hate about 
these stay-at-home orders and these business closures is what they're doing to our communities. Because, you know, I just bragged about having a, a great boyfriend. I've got a couple of great best friends, you know, BFF, ride or die. And I've got a core group of friends, especially in the Mises Caucus, who are just really supportive and, and they support everything I do. But I have seen how other people have turned on me and how they've turned on each other. So, you know, reporting local small businesses who are trying to stay alive by taking customers just by appointment only, still doing masks, still practicing social distancing, but it's not enough. And it just blows my mind to see how we have become like the USSR, people reporting their neighbors and their friends and family, turning on each other, hysterics, fighting over food. We have food shortages. Like, it is really disturbing behavior that I have seen come out of my community. And, and it's disheartening. It is disheartening. And, and I keep going, thinking about Mao and his red books and, you know, telling on your family members. And, but it's, it's, you know, a distinction without a difference. It's the same kind of thing. Absolutely. And, and I hope that when I call out this behavior, you know, in social media, in protests and everything else, I really do hope that people will reconsider. I try not to call too many people out by name because I don't want people to double down. Even the people who hate my guts, I haven't written them off because, because I want to heal the community. It's not just about, oh, my team versus your team. I want things to get better. And in order to do that, I think that you have to have as much as possible whenever you can, an attitude of forgiveness and empathy. And that's part of being a good leader and setting a good example. I wonder, it just occurred to me, and I don't know why I didn't think about this before, because this is new and nobody, well, let me think that this, let me qualify this. Nobody under 60 probably has an experience with this countrywide pressure. So that, that inundated news, 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 panic, 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 it can change people's psyches in ways that they could never have anticipated. So, and, and perhaps this is just trying to give the Karens of the world a little bit of defense that any one of us could end up being this person if pushed far enough. And maybe this is just an irrational response to an impossible situation because there's no way Really, any one of us can control what's happening other than stay inside and wear a mask. But that's that's adjusting to the circumstances. That's not controlling your environment. Right. And I'm just I'm I'm trying to give these people who've been friends of yours for years a little bit of a little bit of grace to say that I wasn't this wasn't me in my full mindset. Something had happened to me. Absolutely. And maybe that's a possibility. I you know, I think that people I think there are several things to, to blame here. I, I have quite a few thoughts on this. One is I would really like to point the finger at public schools because they have not properly taught history. Instead of talking about how frightening the USSR was and Soviet control and how many millions of people Stalin has killed and that we should be cautious of tyrannical central planning, instead we have colleges subscri uh, prescribing the Communist Manifesto as the biggest reading. That, like That's the most you know, the, the largest given reading assignment in every United States college, that, that is really frightening. And, and it's not passed out as a cautionary tale either. 
lot of professors just revere central planning and the socialism and communism. And they're not taught, they're not teaching children to think critically and to be skeptical of authority. That's a big problem. We know what a problem mainstream media presents. I was really hopeful a few years ago with the rise of YouTube and, you know, the internet and media being a little bit more decentralized that we were going to see things like CNN get knocked off the pedestal. But unfortunately, those conglomerate monsters have sort of adapted and made their way onto the internet and alternative media streams. So that's been disappointing too. And of course, we don't see logic and reason taught in public schools and even private schools, you know, the people who teach at private schools are usually products of public schools. And government is pretty strict with what happens in private schools and charter schools. So we don't have a lot of critical thinking that's being taught to young people. And we just see the same bad patterns repeated as they get older. I think that another good point is that, you know, people like Jordan Peterson try to caution us to realize what kind of monsters we're capable of becoming. And when people believe that utopia can exist and they believe that central planning can exist, and even when they have the best of intentions in mind, they're not taking into consideration how bad things can be and how bad they could be in their darkest moments. So we could really use a lot more self-reflection on this instead of everyone thinking, that they're high and mighty and they have the perfect answer. There is no perfect answer because there are no perfect people. That's an excellent point to make. And you mentioned it earlier. And the pushback that libertarians get in conversation, either either online or real, is, well, if it can't be a utopian answer, then it's not worth pursuing. If it can't be perfect, then it's trash. and I'm just, I, I find that puzzling, but it's, it, it seems to be a product of the inability to, well, a couple of things, either the unwillingness to consider an alternative to that person's way of thinking, and that's a possibility, or and never have been taught to consider an opposing view, weigh it compared to your view, see, is there something here? I mean, this is, you've mentioned critical thinking, and this is this is not something you learn in sophomore year, and then you're done. It's, it's a, this is an ongoing thing, and it takes a lot of practice, and it takes a little bit of humility to be willing to examine an idea that isn't yours and recognize, you know, this has some merits, and there are better merits than my merits, and now, the question is, do you swallow some humble pie and admit that this is a better idea, or no, I'm going to double down and your idea stinks? And right now on Facebook, we're getting the doubling and tripling and quadrupling down, and it turned in critical discussion never happens. It just goes right from, I have these degrees from this university, and you're stupid. So we go from, we go from credentialed people to playground name-calling. Right. And it, and it's ridiculous because a lot of the people complaining, you know, and s s screaming that they have the credentials and I'm qualified and, and you're not. And it, t when you dig into their credentials, it's just, oh, you have a piece of paper from some government institution that spoon fed you the most basic 
uninteresting, unprovocative, you know, question and answer Scantron test material that you could find. It's it's not impressive. You you went through a program. That's it. Yeah, it's it's almost and this it's almost a participation trophy. Yes. College, I believe, has has largely become sort of a participation trophy mill. You show up, you memorize stuff, rote memorization, take a test, and that's about it. Do it for four years and you get your participation paper. It's, you know, and and you're not taught, you know, even aside from that, you're not exposed to different points of view in universities and, and public schools anymore. Different points of views are screamed at, they're shouted out, they're not handled, you know, in a respectful way. And everybody is vilified to be a literal Nazi. If you disagree, you are literally Hitler. So now we are not able to tolerate discussion from other points of view. You know, 40-year-old people are saying that they are literally shaking. I want to shift a little bit into doing a little short answer questions that I've got in the style of the Bernard Pivot with a culinary libertarian twist. And if you don't know who that was, he's the he's the inspiration for James Lipton's Inside the Actor's Studio. Okay. Of the five flavors, sweet, salty, bitter, sour, and umami, which one do you enjoy the most? Oh, that's a tough call between sweet and salty. Lately, I've been eating a lot of really salty food, um, a lot of salty sauerkraut, and I've been dumping potassium crystals on everything, which is pretty salty. Interesting. What is your favorite food? My favorite food? Wow, that's a tough call. You know, it's an interesting question for me because I have Crohn's disease, so I can't eat my favorite foods. So I guess what I'm missing the most right now is Mexican food, enchiladas. Love enchiladas. What is your least favorite food? Mm. Well, my least favorite food is probably... Russian food. I don't like things like goulash. I don't like cold soups. I don't eat meat, but if I did, I wouldn't eat cold pork or onions, boiled onions, things like that. What gets you excited? I get really excited when I think about eating, well, Mexican food. In Los Angeles, Mm -hmm. tacos are a big thing, and so I'm a huge fan of tacos. What turns you off? Mmm... Bland food. I do, you know what? Midwestern food. The thought of dumping cornflakes on macaroni and cheese and stovetop stuffing sounds just like absolute, like a, like a culinary abomination to me. I am from the Midwest and never once did we make that dish. That is good to know. So not everyone has terrible taste in the Midwest. What sound do you love? I really love the sound of... An electric guitar with high gain. That is one of my favorite sounds with the scoop taken a little bit out of the middle, but not too much. The perfect, num- the perfect amount of uh, static and delay. That really gets me going. It's a headbanger answer. Oh, yeah. What sound do you hate? This is going to be so controversial. I hate the sound of Jim Morrison's voice. It makes me want to have a seizure. It is worse than nails on a chalkboard. <laughs> what is your favorite Food indulgence. Oh, my favorite food indulgence is definitely shojin sushi from downtown LA's Little Tokyo. It's a vegan sushi restaurant. I'm 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 vegan. I know that's that's weird, 
but it's very common over here in LA and they just have incredible sushi. I'm so glad that they're doing takeout right now during the lockdown. Well, I think LA is probably the place to be for sushi. Oh yeah. We are great. Right on the coast food here for, for people who do eat fish and, and regular sushi, like it's the, the food here is outstanding. I'm so lucky. Well, I agree with that. And the food has always been a thing in LA. Mm-hmm. Normally, this is the part where I ask you, the guest, if you have a book recommendation for people who want to learn more about the topic, except I don't think a book is the thing here. So tell me about the phone number you set up, what you expect to obtain as content, and what's the gag about the number? Oh, so I've been working on a very interesting project uh, over the last 24 hours, and it's a satirized version so that you can call call in to report your neighbors or small businesses in Los Angeles, really anywhere in California, and I hope to see this duplicated all over the nation. You can call in and report anyone who is violating the stay-at-home orders, and the number is 559-IMA-NAZI. That's right. So it will actually be working by the time this podcast is aired. It's really funny. I'm really excited about it. And I have had a friend do a really compelling uh, voice recording for people who call in. And I have very real looking flyers that will be shared all over social media, probably by the end of the day. And I'll be plastering them all over the city of Los Angeles within a couple of days. So I don't know if you know, maybe you do, that uh, Mayor de Blasio established the Karen hotline. And apparently it has been inundated with uh, Hitler memes and male personal body parts. Oh yeah. I have seen, I have, I have seen and heard about the hilarious images that people are sending in and also sending in pictures of what appears to be de Blasio violating his own order, which is also pretty comical and to be expected, right? Sure. Well, do as I say, not as I do. Now, in your experience with law, I don't know if you're a copyright attorney, and I know uh, Kinsella might be the one to ask about this. If you have images sent to you voluntarily, can you turn them into a book? Because I think, one, you could raise funds for a good cause, maybe helping homeless or raising funds for businesses like the Bay Shop who need some help. But is that, I mean, that just sounds like a fun idea. Well, satire is constitutionally protected. So if it's something that's satirical and you can make a lot of far-reaching arguments for that, then I would say yes. I have done a little bit of copyright litigation in the past. It's been, you know, more than seven years, but I have done it. And, And I am working on a project, actually, that does contain images of all of the rude comments from my friends, friends of friends, and strangers telling me that they hope I die. So I'm going to basically be taking all of the, not all of, (laughs) there's so many, but I'm going to let people vote in a poll that will be available on my social media within the next uh, two days to vote for the top comments to go on the charity coronavirus quilt. And it'll either be auctioned or raffled off to raise funds to help people who have been impacted by the lockdown and are facing financial destruction. Cool. So I want to ask you about where people can go online to find you, but also acknowledging that Zuckerberg has stated that Facebook will delete posts about protests of stay home orders. So this seems like a bit of a challenge, but uh, so Facebook or is there a website people can visit? And um, but how, how can people 
be inspired by this to start a protest where they live? Absolutely. So you can find me very easily on Facebook, Angela McArdle. You can find me on Twitter, Angela for Congress. And you can just go straight to my website, AngelaMcArdle.com. There's a protest flyer there. And I also try to regularly post other important calls to action regarding our freedoms in California. You know, another big one right now that that's popping off is that one of our local state level representatives, Miguel Santiago, has penned a letter to Gavin Newsom telling him that he should indefinitely suspend all of our Second Amendment rights in California while coronavirus stuff is happening. So if you want to find out important things like that, you want to get involved in the protest, go to AngelaMcArdle.com. You will be free from being zucked at that site. <laughs> well, I will put the Twitter, Facebook, and website page on today's show notes page, which will be culinarylibertarian.com slash 84. And I appreciate your time today. Is there something you want to say that I didn't ask you? Because this sounds like this is this is a thing we need to have happen. Um, maybe where people who want to do a protest, how do they start? What can they, now here's the book part. Is there a book people can get or something they can use as a resource to learn how to start doing a protest? I don't know about any books, but I definitely recommend um, that you look up and see what other protesters have done. Just look it up in the news, contact other organizers to get started from there. Create a flyer, share it with your friends, and regardless of whatever social media format you use to organize, make sure you keep a list. Keep a list of people with their email addresses so that if anything gets shut down, your events, your event pages, whatever, you can contact people directly. Phone numbers and email addresses are absolutely critical when you're trying to organize against the state. Hmm. And and for e-commerce too. So Absolutely. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much for your time today. I appreciate it and have a fabulous afternoon. Thanks so much for having me. My pleasure. Bye-bye. All right, folks, that's going to do it. I'll have all three of Angela's web-based contact links on the show notes page, com slash 84. If you are in the greater Los Angeles area on May 1st and wish to join in on the protest, visit Angela's website from that show notes page. Check out the Cranky Without Coffee mug store banner on the show notes page for your Mother's Day sweet or sassy gift. Remember, the delivery times are taking a bit longer now, so add a few days to your order time to ensure you get your gift on time. Subscribe to the Culinary Libertarian Podcast on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcatcher, and I'll see you next week. Music for the Culinary Libertarian Podcast is provided by Matthew Bankert at mattbankert.com.